We're going to stick with the, uh, the new series that uh, Jason's been preaching over the last several weeks. And uh, if you've missed some of those, uh, I would encourage you to get on the podcast and uh, catch up a little bit, some really, really great stuff. He's more preacher, I'm more teacher in style, so um, endure me today and you get back to the preacher next Sunday, and uh, it's, it's all good. So uh, we're going to continue talking about new, and I want to go back to the two verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, that are foundational to this series, from Isaiah 43. I've switched to the New Living Translation, and it reads this way, for I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God is always up to something new. You see that throughout the Old Testament. In fact, this uh, story is, is uh, if you look in the, in the uh, context of it, it's a reference back to the years, many, many centuries before when God literally brought the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground. One of the great, great miracles in history. And it was a part of the story, the national story that they told again and again and again. And God is saying to them, remember that back there? Well, forget it. I'm going to do something you've never seen before. I'm going to do something that's going to amaze you. I haven't used up all my creative capacity. I'm about to do something new. Then we move to the New Testament, and there's another great illustration in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 17. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure because what we know is that grape juice, when it begins to ferment, expands. And they would put these in animal skins. They would put the wine in animal skins sewed up at the, at the openings. And, uh, and it would begin to do its work and, and the, the skin would stretch to, uh, to, uh, to accommodate that. But if you used a, a wine skin that had already been stretched to its capacity, it's more brittle, it's more hard, it's just going to break. So it would spill the wine and ruin the skin. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. And the question Jason's been putting before us and I do again this morning is, do you dare trust God for something new in your life now? This is Pentecost weekend. Let's for a moment just think of the Holy Spirit as the new wine. And because the Holy Spirit inhabits human beings like you and me, let's put ourselves in the position of a wineskin. Are you willing to be stretched and expanded and made uncomfortable so that the Holy Spirit can accomplish something in you that will be of great significance in your life and perhaps, in fact, probably in the lives of other people around you? That's what this is really all about. God wants to do something new in your life. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about new purpose. It's a, it's a great word, and uh, we're going to go to what I think is an amazing passage of Scripture to talk about it. Um, but before we get there, last time I preached, somebody said to me, man, you got a lot of car stories. <laughs> do you want to hear another one? <laughs> Good, because I was going to tell it anyway. <laughs> So my, let me tell you about my first car. I was 16 years old, right? Just got my driver's license. I wanted to drive. Sitting in our yard was a 1959 Pontiac Catalina that was broken down. It, it, 
as far as we know, it didn't run. So here's what happened. My mom was driving out. It was a family car. And she came home one day. And uh, coming up the, the road we lived on, the engine started to make a terrible clattering sound. It was like metal, getting metal. And there sounded awful. Black smoke starts pouring out the tailpipe. And she just she just barely got it in the driveway and, uh, and, and parked it. And, and that was it. Dad got home. And she said to him, oh, there's a problem with the car. And he said, what did you do to it? <laughs> I didn't do anything to it. He just, go, go try it for yourself. So he went and started it up. It makes this terrible noise. Black smoke coming out. He shut it off. And, uh, and that was it. He borrowed a car, went to the car dealership. And he traded that car in on another one. The dealer gave him $200 sight on scene with the understanding he'd come with a tow truck and haul it in. And he would do with it whatever he was going to do with it. Sat there for almost two years. And meanwhile, I'm turning 16. I'm going, there's a perfectly good, well, it wasn't perfectly good. There's a car sitting out there, and I might be able to do something with that. So I went to the dealer and said, hey, you know, you never came to get that car. Would you be willing to sell it? He said, well, make me an offer. I said, uh, how about $75? And he said, I'll tell you what, you bring me the 75 bucks, I'll give you the keys to the car. So I had a little weekend job I was doing. I'd save up my money. I was able to save $25 a month. So every month for three months, I brought him my 25 bucks. At the end of the third month, he handed me the keys. I went home, the most excited kid in the world. So I got talked to my dad and said, you know, I got the keys. The car is mine. Let's... Uh, you know, let's see what's going to happen here. So together we went out and then uh, we put a battery in it and we checked to see if there was oil in it and all that kind of stuff. Turned the key. It took about three times and the car finally started up. And at first it started clattering again. And a little bit of black smoke came out. And then lo and behold, to our utter amazement, the engine quieted down and sounded normal. And the black smoke went away and it just started running like it's supposed to. No, I'm not a miracle worker. But I tell you, I drove that car for a long time, and I never had to do a single thing to that engine. Somehow it fixed itself. You ought to try this. <laughs> Please don't ask me to pray for your broken down car. It's not going to work, I promise you. I have no idea to this day what might have happened, what, what that was all about. But I can tell you this. It turned out a lot better than I thought it was going to. And that's the point that I kind of want to make in this message this morning. Sometimes things that look really, really bad for us, in fact, impossible, turn out to be not what they first appeared to be. I want to take you to a great, great verse of scripture, Romans 8.28. Anybody ever heard of Romans 8.28 before? Famous verse, very, very well known, heard it all my life. But for some reason in, in recent weeks, I started thinking about this verse at a whole different level and realizing how comprehensive it is in addressing the life that we have, especially when we're trying to live according to the will of God. Here it is. Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm going to make three points this morning from this verse, and I've underlined in each case the part of the verse that I'm going to focus on. This is the first part, live with the end in mind. God causes everything to work together for the good. You know, it's always important, I think, to have some 
sense of where we are headed because it helps us navigate through the places that may be more challenging. For all of us, there are going to be times when what we're going through in the moment seems utterly impossible. The promise we have from God is that it's going to work out according to a plan that he has set in place and made himself responsible to see comes to a good conclusion. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's, it's God working in our lives. So live with the end in mind, no matter what's going on in your life right now or what you may get hit with tomorrow, God has promised us who love him and live according to his purpose, it's going to end well. The verse is really amazing. I mean, you could focus on so many words in here, and we know. Let's just take a moment with that, and we know. Even the and has incredible power in this passage because if you back up to verse 18 where this whole section begins in Romans chapter 8, you say, he, he starts by saying, so the present sufferings that we are enduring are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we're going to experience later on. So he's saying, yeah, it's bad right now, but wait till you see, it's going to be so good, you will absolutely forget the pain of these present circumstances. That's what he's saying to us. And so the and is there, I mean, it's really, so he starts out with that and he says, and so God has given us this hope. He's put hope in our hearts that in spite of how bleak it is at the moment, it's going to be better. It's going to end well. And he said, and besides that, he's given us the Holy Spirit so that in these rough times when we don't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. And the good news is he knows the heart and the mind and the will of God, and he knows us because he dwells in us. And so he takes what we're trying to express. We can't even find words to to articulate what's going on inside of us and what we need, what we want from God. But the Holy Spirit takes that and prays even with groanings and, and expressing those in the perfect will of God so that it all works out according to plan. I mean, it's amazing. And then he goes on, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him or call according to his purpose for them. So I mean, that and just ties that whole thing together. And this is a great climactic end to that passage. God is working to cause everything to work out. And I love the we know part of it. In the original language, there's many words for know in the Greek language, but this particular one is based on the root word to see, and it has a sense of to perceive, and we perceive that God causes everything to work together for good based on observation. And so I think what Paul is saying is Paul was a great scholar. He knew the Old Testament as well as anybody. And I think he was probably referring to, hey, look back at the stories. They're all a part of who we've become, God at work among us, our people, our nation. And you can see again and again and again how God takes a mess and he works all this stuff together, whatever mix happens to be there of good and bad, and he causes good to come out of that. And even thinking about Jesus, who was premier in Paul's thinking all the time, it's like, look what he endured, look what he went through, despised and rejected, nailed to the cross, spit on, cursed, insulted, 
And yet, look how it worked out. God was working a plan through all of that, and even the worst moments were a part of that great plan that made it richer and better than it could have been if all was smooth sailing. God causes everything to work together for good. It's true for you too, my friend. I mean, this is, this is a very theological passage. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and this is probably some of the, some of the most theological work in, in, in the sense of laying down universal principles that apply to those people then, us now, and anybody in the future. This is how God works with people. He's going to do something new and it's going to exceed our expectations. What seems impossible right now, what seems so very, very bad, is going to turn out so much different than what we could anticipate. God causes everything. So let's, I just want to go back to, uh, to Isaiah because I think this is one of, we take passages like this and it helps us to perceive that God causes things to work together to good. So Isaiah 48, this is just a snippet out of a much larger story. And it's the story of God restoring the nation of Israel back to their homeland as a nation after they've spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. These were bad, bad times for that, those people. So let's just take a look at a few verses here. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer... And I love that he references that aspect of his character, his nature. He's the redeemer. He's the one that takes the bad and turns it into something good and new. He's the one who restores what's been lost. Your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Let's just hold there for a second. Look at that. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Now verse 18. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. So often when we hear that word commands, the fur comes up on the back of our necks and we there's that heavy-handed God again just yanking me around here and there. This is how God perceives his, his, his commands. Back up to verse 17, please. Teaching you what is good for you and leading you along the paths you should follow. That's what the commands are. All right, let's jump on and go ahead. So then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves in the sea. That's God's intent. That's the good that he wanted. He knew that they were incapable of living up to this, so he already had a plan in mind, even though they had to go into some difficult times. Verse 19, your descendants would have been like the sands along the seashore rather than buried in shallow graves back in the homeland at a too early an age, too many to count. There would, have been, there would have been no need for your destruction or cutting off your family name. Literally, I mean, the Babylonians, they, they were... They were brutal. You can read the history about them, and what happened to the Israelites is something that none of us would ever want to live through. Many survived it. A lot didn't. God's saying, you could have been spared this, but in spite of that, I've got a plan in place, and here we go. So the 70 years now have, have, have completed. Isaiah is still prophesying, and he's saying to the people now, he's still back in Jerusalem, they're over in, in Babylon, Babylon, most of these, yet even now, be free from your captivity. Leave Babylon and the Babylonians, and they're going, what? We're slaves. 
We're captives, and even if we could escape somehow, we would never make it back across that long, long stretch of desert. We'd be killed by bandits or wild animals, or we would die of thirst or hunger. Something awful would happen. It's an impossible journey for anybody to to go on. But he's saying, sing out this message, shout it to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, the people of Israel. He's going to make a way for them through the wilderness, through the dry lands. He said, hey, I'm going to cause water to spring up where it shouldn't be because I'm going to make a way for you. It's going to turn out better than you. So, I mean, Paul is just taking this grand story from the Old Testament, using it as an illustration and saying, God, look, look what we perceive as we watch the hand of God with his people. He's doing something amazing. He's doing something good. And he's causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Isn't that great stuff? I don't know what you're going through right now or what you have gone through, but most of us go through periods of time where we really question the reality of that, of Romans 8.28. Is it even possible? What does that mean for me? I've been through some of those days myself in uh, 40 years of, of ministry. I've been through burnout twice. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's nasty, nasty stuff. And I'm not going to go into the, the dirty details of it, but I will tell you this. You get to a point where you, you lose a sense of direction, a sense of identity. You slide into a deep, dark place, and you cannot find a way out, no matter how you claw and scramble. If it were not for some people who believed in me, when I no longer believed in myself, I promise you I would not be standing here today. In fact, there was a time when I was absolutely certain I would never preach again, ever. I was just done. So far fried and gone that I couldn't see out of the dark place that I was in. And it didn't feel then that it was all going to work out for good. Thank God now we can look back and see God was present through that. And he was doing some things that were impossible for us to understand in the moment. But he's brought us along. And uh, I mean, I'm a testimony just standing here today, honestly, that there's a truth here. God works all things. There's a crazy mix of stuff in our lives. Some good, some bad, some ugly, some beautiful. And God takes it all, all of these ingredients that, that are probably more diverse than we could even imagine. And he builds it into something that's incredibly gorgeous in our lives. He works everything together for good. Let's go on to the second point. So that's living with the end in view, Right? then no matter how it looks at the moment, God's made this promise, it's going to end well. Second point, know that you have a calling and a purpose in life. Back to Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. My calling and God's purpose meet at this intersection and it becomes my calling and my purpose that God had planned for me from the very begin, beginning. Not just me. I believe that this is for everybody who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, called according to his purpose for them. So a week after next, I've got a birthday. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, still counting, believe it or not. I'm going to be 66. And uh, yeah, I mean, up there, yeah. I mean, I, I used to think that was really old. It probably is. I just don't know it. Uh, but I can tell you this, I, I don't feel as old as I thought I would when I got to this age, this ripe old age. Uh, what I can't, you know, you're all going, we're on this path together, right? I do know this, I'm getting closer to the finish line than I ever have been. Not just me, all of us, right? We don't know what that finish line is, but there's only so many days left in life. God's got those counted out and he knows what they are. But when you get a little bit farther along in the journey, you think more about these kinds of things. And I know that there's one thing, I I want to fulfill that purpose that God had in mind for me in my life. Let me show you a few other verses that I think go right along with this. The first from John 17, 4, which is significant because John 17, the whole chapter is Jesus' prayer, like the night before he, uh, he was betrayed and crucified. And it's, it's, if you've never spent any time in John 17, I'd encourage you to read it because it's, it's, uh, it's life. Uh, so he says in the prayer, I brought glory to you, speaking to the Father, here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And I love that Jesus knew that he had completed, fulfilled the purpose that God had sent him here for. Uh, I think he's a model for us. And maybe you're saying, well, that's all well and good, but wasn't he God? Yeah, he was fully God, but he was fully human. And I think this really reflects more the human side of Jesus when he's going, yeah, I, I brought glory to you here by fulfilling, completing the work that you gave me to do. Let's go on to Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and verse 10. This is kind of a theme verse for me, and it has been for a while now. I love this. For we are God's masterpiece. Okay, it's not me making a masterpiece of my own life. It's God at work in all of those circumstances, known and unknown to me, creating a masterpiece that honors him. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so it's out of our relationship with Christ, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I mean, did you realize that before you were even born, God already had in mind good works that you would accomplish in your lifetime. I want to make sure that I do all of those things in the time that I have here. It's about his plan and his purpose as it pertains to me and my life. That's what makes us into the masterpiece, is allowing God's purpose. So that's the second piece of all this, is just understanding, in spite of the diversity of talents, who we are. I mean, you were, you were born to the parents God chose for you. You have the personality that he gave you. You were born on the day and in the place that he chose. We had no control over any of these things, our strength, our weaknesses. We do know this. We were created on purpose for a purpose. And God is working out a plan in our lives. I want to take you from a New Testament passage. I want us to go back and look at an Old Testament story. It's in Romans 
Uh, this is chapter 9. Look at verses 10 through 12. This son was our, our ancestor, Isaac. So what's preceding here is he's talking about Abraham and Sarah, their inability in their own age, their old age to have a child. And so God sends, a lot of people think it was some angels in the form of, of men to them. And they say to Abraham and Sarah, one year from now, you're going to have a baby boy. And to them it was like, Wow. How is that possible? So that's the story picks up here, and he says, that son who was born within that year was our ancestor Isaac. And when Isaac married Rebekah, which is another story in itself amazing, she gave birth to twins. Anybody know the names of the twins? Esau and Jacob, yes. So we're going to talk about them in just a moment. But this is what I want you to see. Before they were born... Before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. And this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. Not based on our behaviors or even our gifts and abilities. Let's go on to verse 12. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told... Your older son will serve your younger son, which culturally was unheard of in that day. The firstborn, the oldest son, even though they were twins, Esau was born first, perhaps seconds or minutes ahead of Jacob. And before that ever happened, God said to, what was her name? Yeah. Sixty-six. I'm allowed to forget, even if I am preaching it. <laughs> That's really kind of cool, you know. You can say that. It's like good does come out of this, right? <laughs> so we have Isaac and, and Jacob, and if you're familiar with the story, you know that they were really different. Though they were twins, they were very, very different in their chemistry. So Esau was the outdoorsman. Um, he, was, he was a man of the field. He was a hunter. He was tough. He was, he, he was muscular, no doubt, you know, and uh, <laughs> looked good. Jacob was a very bright-minded kid, but he was more of a mama's boy. He loved to hang around the house and, uh, and be with mom and do that sort of a thing. Real, real different. And probably most of us, if we were just looking on the outward appearance and we, had a, and we could choose our leader, we'd probably lean toward Esau, frankly. He's the firstborn. He's the oldest. You know, he's, he looks like a leader. He's got that kind of thing going on for him. And God is saying, listen, I got a plan in place. And no matter how countercultural, no matter how non-intuitive it may be, I'm working a plan here, and you're going to see it worked out in his life. What I love about this is, when we're thinking about our calling and our purpose, it doesn't always just work out the way we would expect that it would. God is working this out. And in spite, I love this especially, it's not about what I've done good or what I've done bad that, that influences God's purpose or his plan in my life. 
It has nothing to do with it. We're on a track here that was set before our birth, before we had a moment to take our first breath or do anything good or bad. God created that purpose and his plan in our life. We're still moving on it. You may feel like you're way off track. Maybe you are way off track because we can make choices and decisions that certainly get us off track. But, you know, believe it or not, God even anticipates that. He knows it before we do it, and he knows what the next step is so that he can bring us back if, we, if we're willing to surrender to his love and his purpose in our life. God's got a, he's got a plan and a purpose and a calling on your life. Love it. Let's go on. Ephesians 1.11. In case you just think this idea is uh, some random obscure thing that, uh, th- that I dug out. No, no, no. It's thematic. Here we have it again in Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. I mean, there you have it. At least how many times is that? God has got a plan. He's going to make it work out if we're in Christ and we're living out that identity for, for, uh, from him. So let's, let's keep going here. The next thing is, let me get to the third point. The X factor in this whole thing is your love for God. Back to Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I save this for last because it's such a powerful concept. When you look, I was looking at this in the, in the original language, not that I'm that smart, but I've got some good tools to work with. And, and actually, the sentence structure in its original form is compelling, and it's very, very clear that this piece, those who love God, is actually the hinge of the whole thing. If there's a condition to the promise, the promise being that he's going to work, God is causing everything to work together for good. This is the condition. It's loving God. This is what it's all. In fact, uh, structurally, that's at the beginning. And we know that for those who love God, he causes everything to work together for good according to his purpose for them. Amazing stuff. Here's where I'm going with this. We get confused. Let me talk about myself. I spend more time being confused about my purpose in life than what it's worth. And maybe you're already clear on this. I think God has a prerogative, whether he lets us know in advance what his purpose is he's going to do or whether he leaves us kind of walking in faith that it's going to work out. That's his prerogative. I, I, I envy those who seem very clear on what it is that God has made them to be. I, I struggle with this more for more hours and days and weeks than I care to recall. And, you know, there's lots of books out there talk about how to find your purpose in life and all that kind of thing. And I've looked at a lot of that stuff, and I've taken all the strengths assessments and all that kind of To me, it's just, it just confuses me all the more. And basically, almost everything boils down to two things. What are you good at and what do you love to do? That's your purpose in life. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. What about Esau? You know, because it's not, the way I'm reading this, it's not necessarily based on my strengths. It's based on a foreordained purpose that God had in mind that sometimes seems far-fetched from what I might choose. 
I mean, you ask me, what am I good at? And it's, I scratch my head. It's like, oh, when I was in high school, my, uh, my counselor told me I was good at math and science and I'd probably be a good engineer. So I said, okay. I mean, if you'd asked me, I'd have never come up with that. When I was in elementary school, my music teacher told my mom uh, I could sing, so she always thought I was going to be a musician. And obviously, neither one of those worked out very well uh, for me. And uh, here I end up in, in pastoral ministry and sometimes feeling conflicted over what is it that I love to do and, and what am I good at and all those kinds of things. And over time, you know, you learn some skills along the way. But if you base what you're all about in the eyes of God and even in your own estimation by those things, you might be as confused as I've been over the years about what is it really that my life is all about. If there is a calling and a purpose, why can't I figure out what that is? I'd like to suggest, I mean, I've come to this conclusion because it's where I find some peace. Bottom line, my purpose in being here is to love God yes. and to trust that he has a, a plan and a purpose that's been in place for longer than I've been around, and he's working that out, and as I delight in him, he's going to give me the desire. I mean, when I delight in God, then my heart's desires and God's heart's desires find a common place, and he delights to work that out in my life. I want to close with one more passage from the New Testament. Going back to Jesus, there was a time when the Pharisees said to him, um, let's read it, verse 36 in Matthew 22, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, figure out what your purpose in life is and fulfill it. Apparently not. In fact, I can't honestly find anywhere in the scripture where we're told that that's what we're supposed to do. But if anything is clear, I mean, sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. And when we get there, a lot of times it's more simple than what we imagine. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he goes on in the next verses to say, and love your neighbor as yourself, which flows out of that. But I mean, if there's one thing and only one you ever accomplish in your lifetime, this should be it. And I think if I can pull all of this together, what it says to me is God is working to cause everything in my life to come together for good according to purpose and plan that he had for me long ago that he's working out as I love him. And maybe the question is, are we willing to go there as our new purpose in existing. To love God, to delight in him, to read his word and, and love it. And as we're reading it, our eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to the truths that are there and we can't wait to live out those truths as he gives us strength to do it. And just trust that as we do that, it's gonna end well. Yesterday, Joan and I were having devotions together. We do every morning. 
And the uh, devotional that we're reading was based on John chapter 4, which is kind of cool. Jason references this passage from time to time because it's really, it's got some important truths in it. It's about the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well Jesus interacted with. Remember that? And so the whole point of, of, of this little devotional was this. Jesus said to his disciples, remember they came back with the food, and, uh, and he said he wasn't hungry, and they said, you know, did, you get some, did somebody give you something to eat? And he said, my, my meat, my food, what I get energized by, what gives me life is to do the will of the Father and complete the work that he gave me to do. So what was he doing? He was sitting by the well resting because he was tired from the long journey. He wasn't in the village trying to find somebody to witness to. God brought the Samaritan woman to him. And I just wonder if maybe that's not a better way to approach it. Focus on our relationship with God and see what he brings to us to do with our lifetime and take find fulfillment in that. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? I want to close with prayer, and I want to ask you, maybe here this morning, and you came in here feeling like, I need a new sense of purpose in my life. I need my future to be something my past has not been. And can I tell you, God is saying to you, I want to do something new. Forget the past. All the good and all the bad. Just for a moment, set that aside. Will you open your heart for him to do something brand new in you? Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. That's absolutely the starting point where you just invite Jesus in, give him your life, your future, receive his forgiveness for the sins and the failures of the past and his direction in your life. And I'm just wondering as we close, is there someone here in the service you'd like to give your life to Christ this morning? want to receive him as your savior if you just slip up your hand just this between you me and god in this moment i just want to close with a quick prayer this is you taking that first step of faith in this journey this walk that god has for you anyone here this morning just slip up your hand real quickly let's pray together father thank you for the promise of your word Thank you for working things out in our lives according to a purpose and a plan that's been yours all along. Thank you, Lord, that we know that there's a future, a bright future to look forward to in Christ Jesus. And Lord, for those that are struggling right now in the journey, I pray a a special peace over their lives, a special hope that would flow from the Holy Spirit in and through them to know, to know, to know that you're working things out in a way that's going to turn out for the good. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Amen.